As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those weeks or a time when you're just going about your week day by day and getting your things done and going, and then just like a bomb drops? Like it just disrupts your week. You didn't see it coming. It throws you out of your rhythm and changes your family plans. And you got to rearrange your schedule at work and cancel some meetings. And then if you've experienced it like I have, I hope you have. Maybe what happens is you have some people in your life, some friends or family or other people, they start to kind of come alongside you and and they're like, hey, we got it. We're in this together. And and it kind of starts to galvanize people and we're going to work through this and and we're going to do it together and we'll we'll do unified and we'll get through this situation. Well, you might have heard, but this past week as a church, we kind of had one of those moments. Our senior pastor, Ron, Uh, was hospitalized on Monday with uh, COVID-related issues. And he actually had just gotten back from Romania where he was investing in over 600 pastors and church planters throughout Europe at our hub for church planting uh, through High Point Send, which is in Romania. And so he got home and started not feeling too well and was having some issues with his oxygen and uh, has been in the hospital this past week. So he's, he's doing okay. He is in good spirits. He's under great care at the hospital. Can we do this? Can we give it up for all the doctors and nurses who have been battling this thing and walking with people for so long? We're so thankful for them. Pastor Ron sends his love from the hospital. And uh, he's so thankful for so many texts and emails, cards that have been written and sent, and he's feeling the love. Maybe you want to do that this week. If you want to, just drop a card or mail a card to the church office here, and we will make sure that that gets delivered to him. And it's just been keeping his spirits up as this recovery has been taken a little longer than he was anticipating. But here's what I witnessed this past week as this kind of dropped in our lap and so many things had to shift this past week, is I witnessed our staff as we gathered together on Tuesday for our all-staff meeting, just spontaneously begin to to pray and call out and, and ask for God to move and ask for healing. And then I witnessed our elder couples, they gathered together on Tuesday night. And they, in, in unity, began to you know, trust the Lord and God, we're believing you for a great outcome of what's ahead. And just like I shared that maybe you've experienced in your life and in this situation, we started to see a galvanizing, unifying moment. Yes, even in some of the friction, some of the tension, some of the difficulty. And isn't it true that in the difficult moments, in the tense moments of our life, and some of the unknown or unstable moments of our life, it actually can become a rallying moment in your life, in a family, in the church, that we rally together in the name of Jesus with a spirit of unity and a spirit of oneness. Hey, I'm telling you today, I want you to experience that kind of unity and oneness in your own life and in your relationship with God. And that's what we're talking about today. If you have a Bible, grab it. We're going to Ephesians chapter two. We're continuing on in our series. It's called Church on the Move and we're Ephesians chapter two. We're talking about this oneness. I mean, where do we find it? Where do we get it? How can we... How can we capture this oneness? 
title of the message is Move With Oneness. I want to share three principles with you that we're going to find right in the text, but then at the end, I want to spend some time not just leaving these as principles. How do we turn these into actual practices for us at High Point Church? How do we put unity and oneness into practice? Because despite all the division that we see in the world around us, and I wish I didn't have to say it, but oftentimes the division that we see in churches and in the church that we can turn to God and that in God, we can experience union union and oneness with one another, but more importantly and equally important with God himself. Three principles to move with oneness. The first is this, remember the past. We haven't always been one. If we look back in our history and if we look back in this church of Ephesus that we've been studying verse by verse through, We see there actually, there wasn't always a oneness. There wasn't always unity. And so what I mean by we haven't always been one is this, that the opening act of the play of life, the the roadmap that leads us to Jesus, it very quickly leads off with division and distance from God. We see it right in the early chapters of Genesis. And you're in my life, it's the same thing. That even though we are created by God, that the sin of this world that, that, that exists in our life, it, it creates distance and separation from God. And, and there's distance and there's division actually here in Ephesians chapter two in this church as we learn from them. But I'm here to say, even though it starts with some division and distance, it doesn't end with that. Let's get right into it. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision was which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I think we can all agree bad news. This isn't starting out too good. What's going on here? Well, there's a tension in this first century church in Ephesus. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's trying to encourage them because there's some division and tension between the body of believers, specifically the the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Gentile is just a word for anybody that's not Jewish. And so this tension is existing and Let's do this. Let's get the awkward language out of the way real quick. For those of you who are like, hey, it's my first time in church and I'm just kind of trying to explore this Jesus thing. And why is this guy talking about circumcision? Like what's going on? What is this place all about? What are we doing here, right? Stick with me for a minute. The circumcision was the Jews. The uncircumcision was the Gentiles. And what we're going to see here is that the Jewish people, well, they had coming out of the Old Testament, and again, this is first century church, they had these rituals, they had all these laws that they practiced, and and Paul's saying, but hey, Jesus came, and so it's creating this division where it's saying, actually, all you need now is Jesus. He's already fulfilled those laws. And so the reference to male circumcision was one of those rituals. It would have been a covenant that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, had with God. So notice then in verse 11, and we see it multiple times, a common theme, remember, Hey, remember, well, remember what? Remember where you once came from. 
Remember that you were separated from God. And this is true, by the way, both of the Gentiles who he's speaking to here, but also for the Jews as well. For the Gentiles, he's saying, well, you weren't living your life for God at all. And to go one step deeper theologically in that is to understand that remember in the Old Testament, access to God was of the people of Israel. That's who God, they were the people of God. So you, you didn't even have access to God. But also for the Jewish people, well, let's look back at the Old Testament. Do they keep every single commandment? No, they turn their back on God. And so there's this separation that exists. In this infighting, and this friction that's happening. I know we've never had friction or tension at High Point Church before. So just imagine, right? Just all peace and joy. But no, it happens in relationship, right? But here's what was happening. The Jewish people, they had kind of this religious, moral superiority that they were projecting over the Gentiles. They were kind of projecting this, this spiritual elitism. We are the people of God. And so there's this friction that's taking place. And, and the reason that it references in here the uncircumcised is that would have actually been a religious slur of the day. So what we got going on is we got some first century trash talk going on. That's, that's what this is. Now, I don't know about you, but the next time I get in an argument, I don't think I'm stealing this comeback that they had, right? But for them, it, it, it would have been a punch to the gut to call them that. It would have been putting them down. And so what Paul's doing is in a spirit of oneness, he's, he's getting out the, the jackhammer, so to speak, and, and he's going after the hard heart. We need to be unified. So verse 11, we see, remember, hey, you were Gentiles. You were in the flesh. You were separated from God. You weren't following him. But then look where it goes in verse 12. So you're separated from Christ. Uh, that just means that, that there's, there's not a way for you to be connected with God. You were lost in your sin. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, there's so much that we can unpack here theologically that we won't. But really, what it's trying to say is that, uh, and one, to remember that Israel here, it's not saying a place, the place of Israel. Israel is the people. So he's saying you've been alienated from the commonwealth of the people of God, simply put, you could translate it like this. You've been alienated from the kingdom of God. So not just separated, not just alienated, but look where it goes next. Yeah, you're strangers. And man, you have no hope. You're without God. Now, as much as he's writing this to the early church, do you know that this is your and my story as well? That we were separated in our sin, alienated from God. That really we had no hope. We didn't have God. And that's why the cross is so important uh, because we're going to see in a moment that it's the blood of Jesus that brings the peace. Things weren't looking too good. Let me say it simplistically like this. Hey, here's what he's saying. Hey, remember, there was a time when you weren't with Christ and there was a time that you weren't in Christ together as the body of Christ. Hey, you might be wondering, like how deep was this friction? How deep was this tension that they were facing? Well, archaeologists uh, have found the actual pieces of remnant of Herod's temple from the Old Testament. And on that, as they looked at how the Old Testament was put together, there was, there was a sign etched in stone uh, that would have been put at, at, at the entrance into where they worship God, where the Jews could worship God. And here's what it said. No foreigners may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. 
Anybody who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuring death. Welcome to church. Be careful what room you go into, okay? Watch for the signs. So what's going on here? Well, it's extreme hostility. Now, we need to understand that as the people of God, that they were the ones who had access to God. And so the reason that Paul's bringing this up is he's reminding us again, hey, remember, all people now have access to God, not just the people of Israel. But I mean, can you imagine this sign? This isn't like the beware of dog sign you put on your fence in the backyard, right? This is like, enter at your own risk, your death is on you. You know, like, welcome over. We're glad that you're here. But just think with me. Why do I share all that? Imagine how much generational ethnic and racial hostility there would have been. We are the people of God. We are, and that's true. That was true in the Old Testament, but Jesus comes. We are the people. Wait, so now, now everyone can have access to be the people of God? Think about how much work it would have taken to dismantle their old ideas to realize that Jesus has brought a new way, but it's through Christ's death that this wall, hey, it's broken down. In stark contrast to this inscription, I think what Paul's trying to get at is like, man, you are all one in Christ. Remember, we're talking about moving with oneness. I don't know if you did this when you were a kid. Did you do this? When you would, maybe you'd go out to eat or something like that and and you would, uh, you know, you'd, you'd get some food and then, you know, your parents will let, maybe let you get like a fountain drink, whatever it's called, right? And then as you do this, you'd be like, I'm getting all of them, right? So you're like, I'm getting Coke and then the Sprite. And then have you done this? Don't leave me up here. You did this when you were a kid, right? And then uh, the root beer and then the Mountain Dew and then the, I'm putting them all in there. It's disgusting. Why do we do that? But here's the thing. When you go to take a sip of that, there's no way to separate back out the flavor of, oh, I just, hey, I just want to have a sip of Coke now, right? No, it's all mixed together. Hey, just give me a tiny little sip of root beer. You can't. And I think as juvenile as an example as that might be, here's what I think Paul might be saying. That in Jesus, all the flavors of humanity, every tribe and tongue and nation have all been brought together as one, mixed together, yes, culturally and racially and ethnically diverse in a beautiful way, yet one. One body. Church, be the church. You're one. We've all been made in the image of God. And for those of us who claim Jesus as, a, as our Lord, we are all children of God. So in a much more profound way than I just told you, here's what Paul says in Galatians. Here's what he's trying to say. Hey, remember, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you all what, church? One. In Christ Jesus. Hey, as we look back and think about your own life, do you remember what your life was like before you met Jesus? You remember some of the things you did and you said, some of the regrets that you had? Hey, I, I know I do. And there's something about remembering and looking back and Paul is saying to them and I'm saying to us, when we look back and we remember what Jesus has brought us out of, man, we should be unified under the banner of Jesus. Which leads to our next principle that we need to reflect on the present. Why? Because we've already been one, W-O-N. 
We've been won by Jesus. In fact, it's one of our values here at High Point Church, that you've been won to worship. That Jesus has won you, that he took your sin to the cross, that he gave you new life. He already won that for you. That's why we worship him. This past weekend, it was amazing. We saw so many amazing opportunities as people went public with their faith by getting baptized this past weekend. 51 people last weekend stepped forward and made a public profession in Jesus, getting baptized. I want the world to know. And I can tell you, we heard story after story after story as I stood in that tank right there. And we heard stories of people saying, here's what my life was like before Jesus came into my life. But let me tell you what's happened to me because I've been won by Jesus. He took it for me and I have new life in him. There was one guy who uh, at the very end, it was the last spontaneous baptism. He didn't plan on getting baptized and a lot of people decided in the moment and he came up and I turn around and I realized there's one more guy and I realized it's a guy named Will. And Will and I were on the phone maybe a month ago or so and he called me and I, I didn't know him that well, but he just goes, Steve, he told me a little bit about his story and he's been through a lot, a lot. And he goes, man, I'm so tired of living life my own way. I've messed it all up. I've lost relationship. I've hurt people. I'm just done. I know I need to start living the way of Jesus. And as we talked and texted a little bit and he's like, man, this is it. Like I'm putting my stake in the ground. I'm not going back to how I used to live. I'm going forward in Jesus. And then he got in the waters of baptism and proclaimed last week. And I can tell you, Will, he remembered his past. But I tell you that because Will is reflecting on the present. He's going, this is my day right now. Today is the day of salvation, the scripture says. Let's get back into the text, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That's some good news. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. We'll unpack that. That he might create in himself one new man in place of two. One new people group instead of multiple people groups, Jew and Gentile, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God and in one body, through the cross. Thereby what? Killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. What good news, verse 13. We have been brought near to God. And then listen, I don't want us to move past verse 14. Because I love how, how relevant the Bible is. The thousands of years later, we can still be reading it and it's like they're talking to us today. I'm declaring verse 14 of Ephesians 2, the verse of 2020 and 2021. And here's why. The level of racial and ethnic tension and division that was taking place in the first century, I'm telling you, it was equal if not greater to what we have experienced in our lifetime, where we live. Where do we find unity? Where do we find peace? How can we access reconciliation? How can we access reconciliation in this divided and hostile landscape? 
Any of those questions sound familiar? Verse 14, he himself is our peace. It doesn't say he brings peace. It doesn't say he has peace. It doesn't say he offers peace, although he does all those things. It says he himself is peace. He is the source of peace. It's where it stems from. And then notice the words of verse 14. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That exclusivity of the temple. Hey, you can't come in. The wall's been broken down. Everybody is welcome. It's not relevant anymore. There is nothing exclusive about the gospel of Jesus. All are welcome. And so you think back as I think God here is showing kind of his master plan again for for all of humanity. That as we talked about that temple, just think about it for a minute. The priests, the priests could go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was residing one time a year. Then in some outer courts from there, the Jewish men would be able to gather there. And then further out, the Jewish women would be able to gather there. And then further and further out is where the Gentiles would have to stay. And you can't come any closer to the presence of God. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. There's not two anymore. It's one. We see it right in verse 15. Two becoming one. Two groups of people becoming one by the peace of Jesus. And then it goes on to say that this peace and this reconciliation. And reconciliation is simply what is brought back together. That God has not only brought us back together with him, but he's brought us together as a body in one body. And as we talk about unity today, I think the reality for you and for me is this, that in order to have that level of reconciliation with one another, it's going to require a level of humility from you and from me. A level of humility humility that says, hey, I'm going to take my my own assumptions and opinions and not, not assume they're always correct. It takes humility. I, I got to take the ideas that I, I grew up with and I, I thought I was so firm on and I got to cross-reference them. Are those actually things of God? I, I got to set aside my small eco-chamber where often we're caught living in and existing and I got to throw off some generational bias that has been downloaded into us and, and just ask the question, is that of God? Because the tension in this church was the Jewish people, they, they had some generational bias that they were forgetting that Jesus had already brought a new way. Diedrich Bonhoeffer is a pastor and theologian in the 1940s. And he was a vocal opponent against Adolf Hitler. And he would speak out regularly in the name of Jesus against the injustice of Nazi Germany. As a result, he was put into a concentration camp And then eventually he was executed in the concentration camp, all while trying to declare the peace of Jesus. Here's what Bonhoeffer said. Peace is the opposite of security. That takes a minute to get your head around. Security meaning I'm looking after myself. I'm looking after my own well-being. I'm looking after the things that keep me comfortable. Peace is the opposite of security. To demand guarantees is to want to protect oneself. Peace means giving oneself completely to God's commandment, 
wanting no security, but in faith and obedience, laying the destiny of the nations in the hand of Almighty God. Not trying to direct it for selfish purposes. Catch this. Battles are won not with weapons, but with God. They are won when the way leads to the cross. Let me say it like this. Jesus has the power to break down the walls of hostility because Jesus took all hostility on himself as he went to the cross. That's why we got to stop looking elsewhere. Maybe if I just read that one more book or that, that new social construct or that new idea or Jesus is the only one that can break down the wall of hostility. And that's why Bonhoeffer is saying the battles aren't going to be won with weapons. It's going to be won with God and on a road that leads to Jesus. So how do we do this? Quickly, verse 15. Uh, we already read through it, but it says this, abolishing the law of the commandments. That's what they were holding on to from the Old Testament. Expressed in ordinances, all these practices and rituals, what? We might reconcile, he might reconcile us to God through the cross, killing the hostility. So Paul's saying, church, put down the empty religion. Put down the things that you just want to see happen. Put down those old rituals. Put down those old ways. Put down your preferences. Let's get back united together. Compassion and empathy. I mean, this is what we should be known for as a people. Modeled by Jesus. Why? So then in verse 16, we can kill the hostility that exists in this world. Let me let Joni Erickson Tata rebuke us today so I don't have to rebuke us because she's very gentle in her rebuke. Here's what she says. Believers are never told to become one. We already are one and we're expected to act like it. We're not trying to become one. We are one, but it's how we behave in that. One of the greatest concerns, if I can share my heart, that I have for this generation is I think one of the greatest concerns that Paul had for this church in Ephesus, which is this. How in the world do we expect a world, the people that don't know Jesus to become reconciled back to God when they're looking at the people of God and they don't see us reconciled to one another? Let me say it again. How can we ex expect the, the people that we love, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, the people that we want to come into a relationship with Jesus, and they're looking at the church and they're looking at the people of God and going, you want me to be reconciled to God, but you guys aren't reconciled to each other. It's a cognitive dissonance that the world around us cannot understand when we are not one. I mean, just imagine a church. Imagine a church where if we began to live out this way that Paul is living out. Imagine what that church would look like. Killing the hostility. Filled with peace and unity and oneness. That church needs to buy some more chairs. Because there's more people coming. Here's what St. Augustine said. As we wrestle through the things, what should we debate about and what should we argue? In essentials, unity. Yes, we need to be united in the sound doctrine, the teaching of God's word. We are not wavering from that. However, in non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Last principle. 
we're talking about spiritual oneness, we need to rejoice in the future. Those who are one are one forever. Just realize this is going to be a very difficult message to listen to in podcast form. What is he saying? One, one, W-O-N, or one, O-N-E, forever. Those of us that have been one by Jesus Christ, we are unified as one body. Verse 19. So there is no longer stranger. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is some great news. This is not a temporary assignment that we are on. This is an eternal matter that we will be one body, not only, by the way, on this earth, but we will be for eternity. So notice there's this access shift that we've been talking about. All are welcome. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens of this world. You are fellow citizens. And guess what? No visa is required. You don't need a green card to enter. It's for all who believe. So as we turn these principles into application, let's read our last few verses. Verse 20. What is this whole thing predicated on? What's it built on? Well, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hey, we are not building some new 21st century revelation of how we are trying to be the church. We're not doing that. This isn't some newfound truth. This isn't some brand new ideology that just got discovered. This isn't some new innovative social construct or some anthropological theory. This is tried. It's true. It's tested. It's proven. It's, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's built on Jesus Christ himself as a cornerstone. Think about this with me. If you were to develop some new religion, if you and I were to say, let's set out on a venture to, we're going to create a new religious structure and whatever it might be. How would we, what would the foundation of that be? Like, what would it look like? How would we put structures and guardrails and focus? And I got to be honest, I won't speak for you. So I'll just speak for myself this morning. In my, in my worst days, I believe that if I, I were in charge of setting up some new religious order, what would I do? I would probably make sure that like, I want to make sure that I'm good. I want to make sure I'm kind of taken care of in this. And oftentimes what would probably happen if we're just really honest in our own soul, we would want to make sure that we have power and fame and money. Actually, this is happening. It's happened for the history of the world. That we build our own kingdoms. We're looking to build our own way of life. So what did the apostles get? What did Jesus get? Well, the apostles, here's what they got. They were killed for what they believed in. They were martyred for sharing their faith. They got no money. They got no power. They got no fame. Hey, I got to tell you, that's proof enough for me. That, that if these followers of Jesus were so passionate about building this unified body, church, let's do it too. Do you know what Paul said? He said this, I want to know Christ. 
I want to know the power of the resurrection and his sufferings. I want to know the power of the resurrection. And actually it says participate in his sufferings. And I want to become like him in his death. Hey, I don't know about you, but I don't see like a lot of people getting that one tattooed on their arm anytime soon, right? I want to participate in his sufferings. Paul so desperately wanted to be like Jesus. And he so desperately wants this church to be like Jesus. So church, those of us who are one, W-O-N, we are O-N-E, one, unified together forever. So let's do this. Let's take the next 10 minutes to put these into practice. How can we practice this unity, this oneness at High Point Church? And I I just believe this, that if we take these next 10 minutes to think about what if we really lived this way, I think it would radically change us, but I think it would also radically change our reputation in the community around us. The first is this. Let's be a foot washer. Let's be a foot washer. What do I mean by that? Well, here's my concern for the church today. My concern for the church today, and I think it's happening all over the place, is that we kind of treat it like an Amazon review. Like we go on and we're trying to decide like, yeah, that product was pretty good or yeah, that one I didn't like so much. And, and so we have this tendency to go around and kind of go, ah, oh, you know, that kid's ministry, yeah, I'll give it a three star. Animal crackers were a little stale this weekend. Or hey, when that pastor speaks, I mean, oh, five star, that's awesome. When Pastor Steve speaks, uh, two star. I can't believe what that lady said to me at church. Refund. Hey, why am I saying all that? Because too often, I think we're evaluating more than we're participating. And and here's the thing. When we're evaluating, often it's more preference-based than it is mission-based. So what do we need to do? I think we need to turn our evaluations into invitations to get down on our knees like Jesus did and wash the feet of those around him, to serve them, to care for them, to invest in them. Nothing promotes oneness like the willingness to get into the grittiest part of people's lives and not preach at them and not judge them and not instruct them, but just humbly sit in care and love for that person. You know what Jesus commands of us? Jesus commands that we serve each other and we die to self. That's actually what we signed up for here. Let's wash some feet. Here's what it says in John 13, five. Here's what Jesus did. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He was serving them. He was modeling humility. But then let's do this. Let's be a road crosser. We're talking about how do do we put unity and oneness into practice at High Point Church? Let's be a people that crosses to the other side of the road. Have you heard of this story? It's a popular one in the Bible. There's two religious leaders. There's a Samaritan man. And there's a guy on the side of the road. Sounds like a bad bar joke. But the bar jokes, or the joke's on us. Because here's what happens. First guy, religious guy, sees the need. He sees the hurting guy, walks past. Second guy, religious guy sees the hurting guy and he walks past. Third guy, the Samaritan, and it's important that it it notes that he's a Samaritan. 
because he didn't just cross over the road as he went to help him. He actually crossed over racial and ethnic and religious barriers to go and bind up and care for the man that was in need. And not only did he bandage him up, but he puts it on his animal. He brings him to a hotel. Not only does he bring him to a hotel, he pays for the hotel. Not only does he pay for the man's hotel, but several days later, he comes back and checks back in on him. Let's be a road crosser. Do you realize that Jesus bandaged you up so that you could go and help bandage some other people up? Let's cross the road. And here's the other thing. How convenient do you think it was for that man? He lost time. He lost money. He lost the focus on wherever he was going that day. Let's be a road crosser. Here's what Luke 10, 33 says. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, what did he have, church? He had compassion on him. That's what we want to be known for. How else can we put this into practice? Well, I'll say it like this. We got to become some roof wreckers. We got to wreck some roofs. So what do you mean? Well, Mark 2. Here's what happens in Mark 2. There's these four guys that are friends. They see a paralytic who's sitting on a mat. Jesus is in town. And these guys believe so much. They go, we got to get this guy to Jesus. And so they pick this guy up. They bring him to Jesus. They get to the house. But the house is too crowded. They can't get in. So they just brought the paralytic back. Wait, no, that's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? They actually climbed up onto the roof. They dug a hole in the roof. And the scripture says they lowered this paralytic man down to Jesus. Nothing was stopping these guys from bringing this man to Jesus. Hey, let me ask, what kind of roof do you need to wreck this week to help somebody else get to Jesus? What kind of roundabout way do you need to go to help somebody understand the love of Jesus? Mark 2 says it like this. And when they could not get near to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they, had, and they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. What family member or friend do you need to wreck a roof for this week to bring them to Jesus? When was the last time you went out of your way to help bring somebody to Jesus? Maybe I'll say it like this. When was the last time you just simply invited somebody to join you at church? Hey, come and join me. And we're talking about the things of life and the things of, of God. And it's true right now in the day we're living in. And we got a lot of excuses why we maybe wouldn't invite somebody to church. Hey, let's be people that bring other people to Jesus. If you've experienced the presence and the power of God in this place, wouldn't you want other people to experience the presence of God in this place. Here's our last practice. Talking about how we can be one as a church, be unified. Well, be a log remover. Matthew 7 says it like this. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the big log that's in your own eye? What's he trying to say? How do we answer that? He's asking a question. Why? Why do we do that? Well, let's take a stab at it. Is anybody with me that it's a lot easier to point out somebody else's faults than it is to point out your own faults? Any married people in the room? Right? How much easier is it to point out your, your spouse's faults than to be like, oh yeah, I guess I should probably look at myself too. 
Maybe it's because we don't think that we're capable of doing wrong. Nope, I got my ideas and I got my view and I got my stance on the world. That's that humility we had to talk about. Maybe, just maybe, at times it's this, is that we think that God has been created in our image versus us being created in God's image. All of our communicators are saying it like this this week as we talk about sometimes we're, we're blinded by things. How do we know if maybe we're, we're projecting who God is? That we're creating God in our image, here's how. You can safely assume that you have created God in your own image when it turns out that your God loves everything you love and your God hates everything you hate and your God sees everything the way that you see it. That's when we know we got it backwards. Because God's going to challenge us and we need to remove some logs from our eyes. So notice as we close and we put these up, how these four all really relate to, to brokenness and humility and compassion. I mean, the first one, Jesus, I mean, he modeled humility, God of the universe, getting down on his knees, serving other people. The second one, the Samaritan, what did he do? He modeled compassion, going out of his way to care for somebody he didn't even know. Those friends, man, they modeled empathy. Man, come on, we got you. We're bringing you to Jesus. And the last one, if I can just say you and me, what if we modeled brokenness in our unity? Hey, man, I don't, I don't have it all figured out. Brokenness, hey, I'm sorry I said that. I, I didn't mean what I said. I didn't mean to hurt you that way as we're together as one in unity. Hey, could you imagine what kind of church we'd be if we just let off with doing these four? That's a church on the move. That's a church moving in oneness. Why don't you stand together? I just wanna ask as we close, which, which one of these do you maybe need to focus on this week? Which one of these do you need to say, no, 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 I need to commit this week and how I serve people or how I have compassion for people, how I lead people to Jesus. Maybe it's just some self-awareness by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, man, I've kind of been blinded and I, I, need, I need to see. Would you, as the worship team begins to sing over us, would you just commit in your heart? God, let me grow in this this week. God, God, I, I want to have a clearer picture of who you are. And God, right now, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we would be a people that are united. We would be a people that are one. God, we believe that you have broken down the wall of hostility and you have brought peace and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Would we be a people that we live in such a way that hostility is killed in the name of Jesus because we cling tightly to the unity that can only be found in Jesus and the unity that is needed through us to a world that needs you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.